Today, we're going to go way back in Israel, along about a thousand years before Christ. And you know, you kind of you kind of count the the time in the Old Testament. Uh, something eighteen or nineteen hundred years it took from Adam to the flood, and then uh, the next major thing you have, which is just about uh, two thousand years before Christ came Abram. And the next period that I remember, uh, just to help me understand, you know, when I'm telling the scripture, uh, the time frame is King David lived uh, a little bit, uh, well, just about a thousand years before Christ. And if you can get those points in your mind, it kind of helps understand, you know, understanding what time frame you're talking about. Then you would begin to add to that stuff like, uh, you know, the the uh, the fall of Jerusalem and the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. Uh, it, which would be about 606 BC. And then as far as eschatology goes, are uh, the, the times associated with the prophecy of the last days and the beasts, uh, which would be uh, Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon, and then Medo-Persia, and then Greece, and finally Rome came into power uh, and ruled over Israel from about 50 BC until, uh, well, of course, that brings us to the time of Christ, uh, and a lot of persecution of the church then, from the time of Christ up until the time of Constantine, who lived roughly 300 years after Christ. Constantine took over, that is when the Catholic Church basically hijacked for all intents and purposes uh, the Church of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until the time of Martin Luther, which was a little after 1500 years AD, that we got the what we call the Protestant church and that we still have today and we still have the Catholic church too.
And uh, so that kind of gives us an idea the entire span of history up until our time. We expect that it won't be long until this age will end uh, and all the, all the signs are there that this age will end uh, shortly, whether it's 20 years or 30 years or what, but Jesus Christ will take his church out of this world. And that's when there'll be seven years of tribulation. Uh, and after that, uh, the enemies of Jesus Christ will be defeated and there'll be a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. But that is not to say that there won't be men in the earth that uh, still will not want to be reigned by Jesus Christ. And that will bring us up to the end of the age altogether. Uh, the final defeat of Satan and what we call the eternal state. Uh, and I know you're not going to remember all that, but at least you can see that there is there is a timeline for all these things happening. Today, uh, you can turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24. The thing you need to remember about the history of Israel uh, early on was that the early history of the nation after they had come into the promised land was recorded by Joshua and Judges uh, with several uh, anecdotes, I should say, of, you know, people like Ruth and Ezra and Nehemiah um, having to do with the rebuilding of the temple. And after that, you get six books, and this is a good way to think about it. You get, you get after uh, judges, you get six books, first and second Samuel, uh, first and second Kings, and first and second Chronicles. And in general, it's helpful just to remember that each of those, 1st and 2nd Samuel, tell the story of Israel as it became uh, 
notable nation in the earth. And first and second kings tell the same story over again. And first and second chronicles tell the same story in general. Those six books are historical, telling us about what went on in Israel uh, during the time uh, from its formation and its conquering of the land, uh, the promised land, up until the time when Israel lost her autonomy and became a vassal nation uh, under the, 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 the four beasts that we have described to us in uh, the prophetical books. I know that uh, probably didn't help a whole lot, but uh, there is an order to it. Today we'll look at 2 Samuel chapter 24, which uh, will tell us about the latter, something that occurred in the latter part of King David's life. And remember, after King David, Solomon, who was his son, by uh, the wife he took, Bathsheba, uh, and was a time uh, of great sin in David's life. You know, we think of David maybe as, as uh, always doing the right thing. But the fact is that David, and we see in David, all the weaknesses and foibles of mankind. And if there's one thing to remember about why God made a covenant with David was because David was unique among most of the men in the earth in that the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. But it doesn't mean he didn't have trouble. He didn't make mistakes. Uh, but yet through it all, we see the faithfulness of God. That really is what we should see through all the Old Testament is that men fail, but God has never forgotten his promises to men. To those that, uh, particularly those promises that were uh, unconditional, and we'll be thinking about one of those tonight. So let's have a word of prayer together. Uh, Father, 
as we come to you tonight, may we try to take ourselves back and King David's better years and know that even then, within a couple of years of his death, that he was still making mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, Lord, uh, showed us a lot about your character, who you are in regard uh, to that great king, uh, but also that king uh, with many weaknesses. Bless us tonight. Uh, those, uh, Father, may be blessed by various aspects of how God handled uh, unfaithfulness in one of the most lauded kings of Israel. but you remembered your covenant with him and your covenant with him will one day be very clear when the seat of King David, when the throne of Israel, uh, which is David's throne, will be handed over to our Lord Jesus Christ for the millennial reign. Uh, bless us now with your word. Lord, we need you so much mm -hmm. for we're just like King David mm -hmm. in that we make many mistakes. Uh, we are overcome in many ways by what we feel and, and think. But you, Lord God, are faithful and, and in Christ have given us both the Old Testament saints for that's how they were saved. They were saved through faith. And, and also, Lord, you have saved us through Jesus Christ and through our faith in what he did for us. We pray this, Lord, and thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just to set the scene a little bit, we we are going to be talking about the days of the latter reign of David. He reigned in Israel, in Israel for 40 years. Uh, we remember the stories before he was king, for example, of the defeat of the giant Goliath and a number of notable things that Jesus did. 
we also will remember that uh, for about 25 years before David became king, he was already earmarked by God to be the king of Israel. But the king at that time was Saul. And Saul was a jealous man. And for something like 25 years, Saul did all he could do to destroy King David before he was king. And even after he was anointed to be king, but yet he was not installed in the throne. King Saul sought to kill him for 25 years. He had to, to run and hide for that period of time in many of the countries around Israel. He couldn't be in his beloved Israel. For King Saul was always on the lookout to kill him. Uh, due to his uh, extraordinary jealousy, which was not something that David caused to happen. During this time, David was humble. He had several opportunities to kill King Saul. Uh, and he walked away from every one of them. And finally, uh, at the end, King Saul uh, kept failing in his con conquest and in his uh, battles with the wicked tribes around Israel. He finally lost his life. Before losing his life, he consorted with, with the witch of Endor. Uh, and he uh, actually uh, consorted with the witch to pull up, uh, and this was unique in scripture, the spirit of the prophet Samuel who told King Saul that his life was about to end. So there in the next few days, Saul was killed in battle. David became king in about 10, uh, 1055 BC. Some and so, by the way, he ruled for seven and a half years with the seat of his authority, not in Jerusalem, but he was in a place about oh, 30 miles from Jerusalem called Shiloh, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was for a time, and then for a time it was stolen. By the, by the enemies of Israel, and then it was recovered. And finally, and at 
the time we're talking about, David's rule was in Jerusalem, uh, where he ruled for uh, roughly uh, 33 years, uh, most of which in Jerusalem was the tabernacle of blessing for Israel. The temple was not built yet. David's son, Solomon, built the temple. God told David that he would not allow him, although he gathered all the materials before he died for the temple, but God told David that he would he would not be allowed to build the temple, the, the first uh, permanent temple that Israel had, which was uh, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was um, so uh, great. Uh, it was so beautiful. And there was the Ark of the Covenant in the midst of it. Uh, and so uh, David died and Solomon became king. That was in about 1015, 1015 years before Christ. David died and Solomon became king and he built the temple. So when you hear it called Solomon's Temple, uh, that is because it was built by King Solomon and didn't, it did not exist. It was, it was a tabernacle. The, the, the temple was preceded by a tent which went with Israel from the time of the giving of the law in all the places they were, and it was a temporary place set up where all the sacrifices occurred and uh, where God uh, abode with his people in a uh, column of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. Their God was in his in his tabernacle now is going to come the building of the temple but that is not uh, the reason for the study I wanted you to know and see uh, that King David was just a man and in the latter part of his life, he made a serious error. And that is recorded for us both in 2 uh, in, uh, Samuel chapter 24. And you'll find it again. You can read it again in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 21 verses one to six. So let's see what this great sin that I've talked about 
what it was and how it happened. And so starting in verse one of 2 Samuel chapter 24, we read these words. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he, that means God, because he was, he was angry with Israel, because there, was, there were a number of offenses uh, that the Lord moved David, who knew that there were still battles to be won. This went clear up to the time of Solomon. It wasn't until Solomon when Israel had defeated all of the enemies in the promised land. And uh, so we think about that as far as the time period, we will see that they had battles with the people in the promised land for almost 500 years. <laughs> it was continual war. But when Solomon came, there was finally peace in the nation of Israel. But before that occurred, God was moved uh, to have David say, go and number Israel and Judah. Now, what's it mean? Well, it means that over and over again, before uh, a king often would go out to battle, he would see how many men he had in order to meet the enemy. And so uh, that's what he said. He said, go and number Israel and Judah. Now, we're going to find in a moment that that made, uh, that was the, uh, that was the thing that uh, caused great chastening to come against Israel, and the king was moved to be involved in it. For the king said to Joab, who was the head of the, um, the troops, in other words, he was the top general uh, over the troops of Israel, and uh, he, he took his orders from David, and the word says in verse 2 of the 24th chapter of 2 Samuel, for the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, that is the whole length of the nation, and number the people 
that I may know their number. And Joab said unto the king, now Joab, Joab knows in his heart that David was a, a, um, in, involved here in an act of faithlessness because God knew that David should have trusted him that he had sufficient. It doesn't matter how many troops he had, mm -hmm. that God was with him and that he would defeat these enemies. But Joab knew that in his heart. And so he tried to talk David out of doing what he was prepared to do. And Joab said unto the king, now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be a hundredfold and that the eyes of the Lord the king may see it. In other words, David, that you would see it. But why does my Lord the king delight in doing this thing? That was what Joab had to say to David. Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. That is, those persons that were of import in the military reporting to Joab. Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And so we learn something about obedience here. Joab knew it was wrong, but that was the order of the king, and he was faithful even when he knew the king was wrong. Verse 5, and they passed over Jordan and pitched in a, a uh, I'm sorry, and they pitched in Aurora on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and towards Jazer. And they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatum Hodachi, and they came to Dejan, and they bowed to Zidon. And so it's just telling um, that the people went about the land and were stopping in these various places, and they were numbering the people. Now, you should know that numbering was different than the census that we have. All who were numbered were the men, uh, not the women, not the children, but the men who were able to go and do battle against the enemy. Verse seven, and came 
after beaming Zidon, they came to the strongholds of Tyre. You'll remember that Tyre is in the far northern part of the land of promise. And they came to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. That is where Israel had uh, taken those cities from the Hittites and the Canaanites. And they went to the south of Judah and even to Beersheba. So that is just telling us that they indeed went through all the land. But there was a piece of it that Joab did not number. Uh, unbeknownst to David, he uh, couldn't bring himself to number two uh, of the provinces of Israel. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. So this took a long time. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel a hundred thousand valiant men that drew the sword that was in the northern kingdom that's called Israel that does not include what we call Judah. Judah was in the south and Judah uh, was uh, you know there was only uh, Israel and Judah but in the north were the 10 tribes um, and in them uh, was a, a thousand valiant men drew the sword. I'm sorry, that was the men of Israel. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. So what did we get? We get, uh, looking at it, 800,000 and uh, 500, so 1,300,000 soldiers. It's a pretty good sized army. When you consider that the army that compassed uh, about, uh, it's a nation that's being besieged right now by Russia. Yeah, <clears throat> about 110,000 soldiers is what Vladimir Putin started with to subdue Ukraine. So some more than 10 times mm -hmm. that number of troops. Now, David, in the middle of all this, had a change of heart. And David's heart smote him. After that, he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. 
And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity or the sin of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. But the die, as Caesar said, the die was already cast. Uh, for when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer. That means he was David's top prophet. And he said, go and say unto David. And because he had had these thoughts in his heart, and because he dishonored the Lord in numbering the people of Israel and all of the tribes, the Lord was ready to judge Israel. Now, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? God was angry with Israel, but he, he provoked David, God's will. Uh, you know, when, that, when we say in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, God has charge of men's hearts, yeah. particularly when he finds that there's weakness there, he could exploit it. Then he used David to do something that would cause all of Israel to be judged. And they deserved judgment. They had been idolatrous. They had done in the sight of the Lord many things that uh, displeased and dishonored the Lord God. And so Gad uh, is told to go and say unto David, that's in verse 12, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. It's like your dad coming to you when you were a little kid and you were going to be punished. And he said, I'll give you your choice of one of three punishments that I have for you. You know, you could stand in the corner for two weeks uh, <laughs> or you can, uh, you know, I'll get my strap and give you a good whipping are your privileges for six months will be taken away. Which one will you choose? And so uh, that now becomes a dilemma that is before uh, the greatest king that Israel ever had. And so Gad came to David and said unto him, shall seven years of famine come upon thee in the land? 
Now, this is a little worse than having to stand in the corner or have your privilege taken away. I offer you a behind door number one. <laughs> is seven, year seven years when the people are going to, a lot of them are going to die from starvation. That's what famine meant. Number two, behind door two, is our wilt thou flee three months before your enemies. That would mean that many of them die in battle. Three months before thine enemies, while they pursue thee, are, and this is door three, are that there be three days of pestilence. Now, pestilence would mean something worse than COVID. Uh, and there'll be three days of that in the land. Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. So he's talking to Gad. Gad said, I'll go back. I wasn't talking to David right now. He said, I'll go back and tell him what your decision is. <laughs> and David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. In other words, I don't know what to do. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord. David knew in his heart that the judgment that was coming from God was just. He also knew that the Lord was merciful. So what I wrote in my Bible at the bottom of this page, I wrote, Judgment. I made a cross where justice meets mercy and satisfaction is obtained. That's what I wrote. You see, the idea here is that David would trust and the mercy of the Lord and the judgment that the Lord would carry out by his own hand because he was going to send an angel with a great sword. That was the pestilence. And David knew that if there was any place in all of this debacle that he likely would find mercy would be in that which the Lord was doing in the most personal way possible. And so David 
said, I'm in a great strait. I don't know what to do. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. And let me just explain about the cross. I never until the night that I received Christ. I was about 22 years old. I I never understood why Christ died. I'd heard all my life Christ died for her sins. But I was also taught you receive Christ who died for your sins and then you be real good the rest of your life and maybe you'll go to heaven. That was what I was taught as a little boy in Sunday school. But it's not true. What is true is that he, no matter what his sin, no matter how soiled and dark his soul may be. If in truth and in reality, if one throws himself on the mercy of the cross of Christ, there will be no judgment. And that's why I say that for justice, For I knew for sure, even when I was 22, that I was a great sinner before God. I never even thought about what to do about it. I didn't know what to do about it. But that night, all of the justice For the sin, not only that I had committed, but I that I might commit in the future. I knew that God would take care of every drop of it by the cross <laughs> of Jesus Christ. I tell you, I think that that is illumination mm -hmm. from the Lord. It wasn't a revelation because it was something that millions already knew, uh, but I didn't know. So right there was the mercy of God through the cross. Mm -hmm of Jesus Christ or there was the justice of God that if not put on Christ by the cross then I would have to have that justice laid on me there is no middle ground 
either Christ died for your sins and you have proclaimed it by faith, real faith, faith that knows. John said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. My life since then has certainly been far from perfect and continues to be far from perfect. But you know what? It's already been forgiven. Because I continue, I think this is important, I continue and even in my darkest place, I remember continuing to believe that Christ would cover my sin. So I, I want you to understand that David knew that the place to put her sin was the place that God would take care of himself. Nobody else, no intermediary other than the angel with the sword who worked directly for God, that David knew that the place of mercy would be there. And so he said to Gad, I'm in a great strait, verse 15, he said, well, verse 14, he continued on and said, let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. That's where we are. Those of us who receive Jesus have been placed into God's hand with God's promise which was whosoever should believe in him should be saved. I have remained there since I was 22 years old. So the Lord, as he promised, sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even unto Beersheba, 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem, so I want you to in your mind's eye to imagine that God gave David ability to see the angel of the Lord coming with the sword, and he had moved all the way up to the holy city. And when he got uh, to Jerusalem, he stopped. David ran out in front of the angel of the Lord. Imagine this in your mind's eye. David 
put himself there between Jerusalem and God. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, <laughs> pardon me, the Lord repented. That means the Lord changed his mind. He changes his mind for all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. But at the cross of Christ, he changes his mind. And the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough. Stay now thy hand. Stop what you're doing. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of an, an Anaru. Now, if you read about this in uh, in well, Second Chronicles, you will read he had another name. His name was Oran, uh, and it was common for there to be several names for people. For example, Jacob. We know who he was. We also know that Jacob's name is Israel. And so it was. The Lord said, it's enough. They were by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And David spoke unto the Lord. And now it is not Gad between David. It is David and the Lord together, face to face. And David spoke unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. This is repentant. I remember the first time I understood what that meant. I have sinned. I, and he didn't blame it on Israel. He took it upon himself. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? And so he counted the people of Israel as blameless. And then he said, let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and my father's house. Again, we see him as a type. Now, we see David as a type of Christ. 
for all of our sins. He said, let them not fall upon these people. The, 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 the whole world. And he said, let it be down to me. And Jesus Christ was the only man who was the God man, who was without sin, who went to the cross with the same attitude, let the sins of the world fall on me. And, and against my father's house, verse 18, and Gad that day came to David and said to him, go up, rear an altar unto the Lord, to the threshing floor of Renan, uh, our Rano, and uh, the Debusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as to the Lord, uh, went up as the Lord commanded. And Rana looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Rana went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Rana said, wherefore is my Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Rana said to David, let my Lord, the king, take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here is the oxen, because there were oxen, you see, at the 13th floor. They crowded out the grain. If you've ever seen one of those uh, places where that was done, I, I uh, have seen them, uh, where the ox goes around in a circle with a large beam, uh, in front of him, uh, or two of the oxen maybe, uh, pushing and having the grain to be thrust. Here, they, here are the oxen, he said. This is what the runner said. He wanted, to, he wanted to give David everything he needed uh, for this offering. Here are the oxen for burnt sacrifices the threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. These things did Arana as a king give unto the king. And Arana said to the king, the Lord God accept thee. But that wasn't, that wasn't what had to be done. Listen to what David says. And the king said to Arana, nay, no, but I surely will buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt 
offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offering, that would be the oxen, offered them and he made peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Now, that last part is significant. Maybe God would have sent an angel to the cross for us. It would not have been possible because man had to die there. Not only did the offering that of the cross have to be a man, but he had to be the perfect man. He had to be the he had to be the God man. There was no one else that could hang on that cross and allow God to pour out all of the wrath for mankind, every soul, every born, be poured out upon Jesus. The only thing God ever asked, he didn't ask us to do anything except to believe that he had done it. David believed God. He knew something about the character of God when he made that offering. He bought that threshing floor. He paid for the utensils of wood and for the oxen themselves. That is another type of Jesus Christ because God laid upon that sacrifice uh, that remainder of wrath that he was uh, intent on bringing upon the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. And now, my friends, that's a story. It's a story, as all the stories that are not parables in the scripture, I believe, it is true to the letter. And that is what you are always looking for when you study the Old Testament. There are 
probably hundreds of types of Christ and types of the work that Christ did that you will find in the Old Testament. The first one was made for Adam and Eve because when Adam and Eve had sinned and they looked at themselves, they had been naked all the time, but they looked at themselves and they said, there's something wrong with us. And so God killed animals, beasts of the field, and he sewed together the, the bloody skins of the animals, and he covered Adam and Eve. In the Bible, that is the first type of the work of Jesus Christ. And this just one of them. You will find that the entire Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You just have to understand what you're looking for. And so may God bless that message and may God bless every one of us that we would understand his character. We would understand that there is a place where his judgment of which we all deserve meets his mercy. And when there's faith, mercy always, always triumphs over justice when we are dealing with the God of the universe. And so Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. There is not another way. Broad is a way that leads to destruction. But that narrow way of trusting in the work of God in his great mercy, laying our sins on his very son and completely obliterating for those who believe sin that would have prevented them from ever seeing God. Mm -hmm. and would have resulted in their eternal loss. We thank God 
from the many types of Christ to teach us various aspects of the work of God on our behalf. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you have in hundreds of places you have told the story all the elements of it up until the time that you had appointed that they would all have their meaning in that day Jesus Christ hung between heaven and earth and paid for my sin and all of those who would trust him so that they would not have to undergo the justice of God. For it was completed in Jesus. For what he laid on Jesus was good and just and perfect. And that Jesus was able to pay for the sins of all the world. We thank you, Lord, for this story. All the others that tell us about the story of salvation. We pray and thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and amen. Thank you, my friends. Uh, I thank you that we know that we have eternal life. Mm -hmm. Not because we're good, but we call because God provided the sacrifice for us that we might be washed in the blood of Jesus and have our sins bletterated, mm -hmm. annihilated, and we might come forward before God as clean and white as snow. For we have a Savior. Yes. Aren't you glad? Yep. Yes. Amen. Yes.